Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like grape banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Hi, and congrats on not killing yourselves Ooh, ooh, you didn't kill yourself and you're here And mmm Congratulations. Welcome to the voices in our heads. I am your host, Christina Hutchinson. And <laughs> oh man, I just have no words. There's so much that hap- that's happening all the time, everywhere. And you gotta shut the TV off every once in a while and just look at a wall or look at your floor, and then you go, I gotta clean that floor. And then you're like, well, it's a rental. Do I have to clean it? And you're like, yeah, you still gotta clean the floor. It's been 10 years since you've lived here, Christina. And you're like, all right, fine. Um, Kevin, Kevin, uh, hi. Um, I, I wanna start off this episode by recommending an Instagram account, and the handle will be in the description of this podcast. So you don't have to write it down, you don't have to stop listening. You just you just need this Instagram account in your life. The handle is look look at this Russian. Look at this Russian. It's so fucking funny. Oh my god. Russian people are fucking hilarious. Um it just his account is so good. It's so good. It's so good. I'll I'll, I'll highlight a few of my favorite videos from this account, some of the recent videos. This is a video. I'm going to I'm going to hold it up to the mic so you can hear the song, but just know that the video playing is of a car with a dash cam. So that's where the perspective of the video is coming from. And then there's a van driving in front of this car and then another car drives that van off the road and then the van flips over. <laughs> <laughs> and vans going off the road. Yep, crashes, crashes and flips. Yep. Oh, guys getting out of the car. Vans starting to smoke. The guy's on top of the van that he just uh, made go off the road, and uh, he's beating it. It's just what? <laughs> it's my life. <laughs> This is a video of people doing that Russian dance where they're really low to the ground like they're taking a poopy in the woods um, and they're holding guns, but it, to this sound. Hold on, wait. And this is a video of old men and guns dancing. It's so funny. Um, this is a video of, a, of another dash cam type video uh, and the van in front of this car filming, a guy just falls out the back of it onto the road and then just gets up and keeps walking <laughs> that's, so, that's so russian this is a video of a dog in a in a military airplane but it's a play like a child's play toy there's a cat with a grenade sitting on money with one eye here's a video of a guy pouring vodka into a woman's snorkel <laughs> it's like it's a video of this dude letting a child no older than three drive a car on a busy road. And then the kid gets scared. The kid gets scared. Oh, here's one of a man. It's the, ta- the, the, <laughs> the caption is Russia. We have a vaccine. And the vaccine is a man inhaling gas and then lighting it on fire. 
Russia, you crazy. Uh, this is so funny. It's so funny. Um, Kevin is so, he's so much happier and filled with life. I left him for three days with a, with a person, with my friend Talia and trainer Talia. She stayed here before she moved away. And um, Talia sent me all these videos and photos of Kevin while I was away. So sad. I didn't even know this dog was capable of being in such a mental state where he's just almost dead. He was so sad. And I kind of ex I kind of expected him to be sad, but he was like comically sad. I'm like, oh, this poor dog, this poor guy. He wouldn't go out. He wouldn't poop. He was just l laying on the floor, barely even looking at anyone. And it, it broke my goddamn heart. It was a fun trip, but that broke my heart. But it was worth it because I'm codependent on my dog and he's codependent on me. And we're going to break the cycle. But when I got home, of course, you know, the best part about leaving your dog is coming home and seeing them after it's been three days. And it was just, he was so happy. He almost flew up to the ceiling. It was so, it was so cute. I posted a video of it on my Instagram. The video, I, I edited them together, but the first video, my handle's at Christina Hutch, by the way. The first video is Kevin laying on the floor being really depressed. And then the second video is, because I told her I'll ring the buzzer one, before I walk in so she knows to film because I wanted her to film it. <laughs> and I wanted it to go viral. Uh, and he was so happy. And then he, I took him out right away and he pooped. He pooped his whole body weight in poop. So much poop came out of him. I was like, oh, buddy, you're constipated. That's why you're so goddamn sad. And then... Later that night, he, this bitch, Kevin, straight up lifted his leg. He was standing in front of me. He lifted up his leg and took a piss on my foot. And I was like, bro, we're going to have to work on that in therapy. That's not good. You can't do that. Kevin, do you know I'm talking about you right now? You're so fucking cute. And I'll never love anything ever more than you. Oh, it's just great to have a dog. Guys, it's Halloween season. Unless you're a child of trauma, in which case every day is Halloween. Hey, am I right? And you never know who lingers under that mask or who's going to pop out of a bush and terrorize you. Ooh, cute. Pumpkin spice. Um, before I press record on this, I'm recording it um, two days before it comes out because I'm fucking responsible and I don't have time tomorrow. Been recording this on a Monday. I watched, I turned on CNN as I do. Cause I try to, I do it until it makes me sad. So like 20 seconds and then I turn it off. And I was like, well, I got my news today. I tried. <laughs> uh, and I, and it was, it happened. I turned the TV on to live footage of Poopy and Chief escaping from the hospital and out of his helicopter, walking up the White House stairs with COVID, currently has he still has it. He's very contagious. Still has it. And and he and he climbed up the steps a little slow because he's infected with COVID nineteen. And 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 then he took his mask off. I'm sure you already know about this because everyone's probably like, I can't fucking believe it. I mean, I can. Fucking idiot. God. And then 
I guess he delivered a speech that was not to CNN. It was to his personal camera. And then he posted online and he was like, I'm feeling really great. Better than I've ever felt, actually. Don't let kooky COVID ruin your good time. (coughs) So that's who leads our country, guys. You should register to vote. Anyway, after I watched the video of him exiting the helicopter and then uh, taking his mask off and then walking in the White House and just spreading the COVID to everyone, what a gift, huh? I heard all this loud honking outside of my apartment. And, you know, I live on a busy street, but it was more than usual. And I was like, huh? And I lifted up that window shade and there were men hanging out of trucks waving flags. And I automatically was like, it's the Proud Boys because they were in my neighborhood a couple days ago. And and I thought it was them, so I ran outside, and I, you know what I was planning on doing? I don't know why. I was gonna walk up to their truck and like hit it with something. I didn't actually bring it, you know what, I should've brought one of my Costas, because they're made of like really heavy stuff. One of my Costas for my coffee table, and I was gonna like, throw it at them or break their wit or I don't know I don't know what I was gonna do but whatever took over me was the rage of a thousand suns and and then I realized that they were activists protesting about some something going on in Armenia it said stop terrorism in Armenia so I was like oh carry on sorry about the terrorism you're experiencing I thought you were white terrorists of America but you're not so I don't really know about your cause but I hope that peace happens for you but I really thought it was the Proud Boys. And I don't know what the fuck I was, my plan was. But I, I was going out there, running right towards them. They're so proud that they lost the Civil War. Mm. But th- and then I was walking Kevin a little bit after that. And they, I guess they were circling the block. With, uh, with their horns honking and flags waving and all that stuff. And then on my corner, uh, I, well, I was walking Kevin. And then they, they pulled up. And they stopped at a green light and they just straight up got out of their car and just started smoking a cigarette on first on a very busy street on a very busy street. Just started smoking cigarettes outside. I'm like, wow. That's some Russian energy, man. This is a song for the broken heart. Putin is my pussy. Right. That's what they say. Guys, Putin's not hot. And he's kind of a dick. That's what I know about Russia. Also, so I do this thing now where, um, because what am I going to do with myself? I'm in my apartment so goddamn much, you know? Because there's nothing else to goddamn do. And I feel like all my friends are busy. And I'm busy too. Organizing my apartment. Well, I'm, I'm busy with a lot of stuff. But then I just get very restless very easily. I'm sure that's a common experience. And I'm not unique, so thank you. But I'll go online stoned late at night and just buy stuff. And in the moment, it just feels right. But then the next day when the package arrives, it feels wrong. And I'm like, why did I do that? But I was on Etsy. I was like, I need to, I'm going to decorate my apartment for, for Halloween way better than I normally do. So I need to acquire Halloween decorations. And so I went to Target and then I went, and then I went on Etsy the other night and I was trying to buy all this stuff. And I bought a lot of stuff. Do I remember what? No, nah, not really. 
Hi, Kevin. I see you. Okay. Uh, and there was a there was a sign. It was like an, a paid advertisement for a product. So I was like, Halloween decorations, a pumpkin spice, child and trauma. And there was a sign, a wooden sign with Jason on it with that fucking hockey mask holding a knife. And there, the lettering was written in, well, it was supposed to look like blood. And it said, no lives matter. And I'm like, yeah, no. That was an Etsy fail, okay? That's not cute. That's not cool. You're dumb. You're a dumb bitch. Can we not do that? Can you just not? Can we leave that at a Halloween and just pretend that we're in a horror house that's haunted and someone's going to murder us and you don't have to bring in political causes and make them, you know, smaller with your, your, your attempted attempt to be cute? Because you're not. You're stupid. That made me really mad. And all I did was go, ew, out loud. And then I kept going. And then there was a pillow of, with a bunch of ghosts on it. And it said, there's some horrors in this house. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I hate bad puns. I hate them. Oh, so bad. And I'm flying. What does this come out? It's coming out on Wednesday. And the next day I'll be in Arizona. So if you're in Arizona, Tempe, Arizona, Corinne Fisher and I are doing, are headlining the Tempe Improv. And I, when did I buy my plane ticket? This week. Oops. But Kevin's coming with me. That's a first. My baby's never been on an aeroplane. He's going to experience the great magic of flight. But hopefully I can get to the vet in time to get him a little fucking sleepy pill so that he actually doesn't experience it. Because I'm not allowed to take him out of the bat, out of the carrier, and that's going to be a problem. But if he's sleeping, then I won't want to. So yeah, my vet was like, "Here, pick up this um, whatever he called it to make him drowsy for the flight." Kevin, that's rude. Kevin, that's fucking rude. Oh, so rude. Um. Anyway, I went to I I was it was Sunday night last night, and I was like, oh yeah, I should probably buy my flight for you know Thursday to Arizona from New York. And so I called Delta because I had a bunch of Delta credits and um, I wanted them to apply that to the ticket price so I didn't have to pay for it. And I was on the phone with a woman at either at Delta or an agency that Delta hired to answer their customer calls. I know that that happens. A lot of companies do it. Some, some of those agencies are real pieces of shit that are not nice to their employees. I learned that from a John Oliver segment. But uh, I was on the phone with this woman and English was not her first language. And that's cool, but I could, I, I honestly, I really honestly could not understand what she was saying. And I kept going like, I'm sorry, excuse me, what was that? But I would say that all in a row, just like that, three times, like three different variations of what the fuck did you say? And then by, by the fourth time, if I couldn't hear her, I would just go, oh, okay. And I just pretended and I was like, that's not, I hope I'm going to the right place. I really couldn't understand what she was saying and, and, and I, and then I got anxious as I tried, and I, as I felt pressure. I'm like, Christina, don't be a fucking asshole. Understand what this woman is saying, you dumb bitch. No, I, I, just, I really just couldn't. And, you know, there's only so many times that you can go, what, what was that? Before you're like, well, now that's just, now I feel rude. I know. It's not, it's not nice. Um, and so I just, I kind of went with it. And then the call got disconnected. 
well, it got disconnected because I ordered a bagel at two in the morning and the, the, the place I ordered it from was calling me to say that they didn't have any bagels anymore. So I accidentally hung up. So when I say the call got disconnected, I thought I was blocking the incoming call, but I actually, I, I actually put an end to that call with the Delta lady that I was on the phone with for 30 minutes. And 28 of those minutes were, wait, what was that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's really windy. Oh, I'm sorry. And I, re- I really couldn't understand her. But then I hung up and I was like, that sucks because I was on the phone with her for so long and I thought we were getting somewhere. So I was like, maybe she'll call me back because she had my phone number and she, she did it. And I waited by the phone, you know, just reliving high school and she didn't call me back. So I, I called again and then it was a lady who uh, she talked like this and that I can understand because that's I'm from a state where people talk like that a lot. Sometimes they talk like this. Anyway, they talk very slow. So I'm like, that's more my speed slow talkers even though i'm not a slow talker but yeah i felt bad i mean it's just like what do you do and it oh the worst is when it's in person and someone says something and i when you really can't understand it i'm like sometimes i'm like am i just a bad listener maybe i am but then in the moment where i'm like oh shit i can't understand what this person is saying you know you don't want to say i can't understand what you're saying because i don't want to make the person feel bad i really don't First of all, you know more than one language. That's better than me. I barely know one. Can't even spell it half the time. So, look, if we're doing the dumb Olympics, I win. But but I get so anxious when I know that no matter how many times I ask them to repeat it, I'm just not going to get it. And I still haven't come up with something to say. Sometimes I'll just walk away. I'm like, ah, uh, you know what? I got to go. <laughs> just stop what I'm doing. Because it's New York City very culturally diverse city of people who are smarter than me because they know more than one language but your girl's dumbass can't understand certain accents so uh to anyone i've ever dismissed because i couldn't understand you i'm real sorry i'm very sorry and i applaud your efforts and your intellect to have more than one language under your belt like i said i barely have one And then the other day I was watching Netflix and I was like, I want to watch something that brings me joy. And then I ended up watching this goddamn documentary about voter suppression. And I'm like, well, that plan foiled. But it was narrated by Leonardo DiCaprio. And ooh, want to sit on his face if he would also agree to that. Hey, Leo, if you ever want to try out a non-model with a lively personality, hit me up. Hit me up. Hit me up, Leonardo DiCaprio. The things that I would do to Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm not even going to tell you. Because I don't know that I know them yet. It's like when I was running towards that truck that I thought was being driven by a proud boy. I'm like, I got a plan. Do I? Well, I, I know that there is a plan that will happen in the moment, but do I know what it is? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But boy, would I sit on Leonardo DiCaprio's face. That could save the, the climate, huh? Well, it would save my internal climate for perhaps a few moments, depending on how good he was at eating a girl out. But, you know, maybe he's lazy because he's so goddamn handsome. I don't know. There should be a reality show called Having Sex with Celebrities. And you have a, you have a sex with a celebrity and then you talk about it. It's like guys you fuck, but for famous people. I'm winging this uh, episode of the podcast, not winging it. I'm looking at notes off my phone because 
sometimes I, I'm too prepared and it ruins it. You know what I mean? Like I, I over plan and then I psych myself up and then I'm like, Christina, you're stressing yourself out in instances that you don't got to be stressed out about. And so I'm trying that with this. So you tell me how it is. Oh my God, I'm so, winter is coming, you guys. And I'm not talking about Jon Snow. I'm talking about the cold ass weather. I'm so excited. In the winter, I do this thing. I was watching this docu-series about Goop, which is Gwyneth Paltrow's fucking company. And like, you know, I really, uh, I don't know much about a vagina scented candle that she put out other than she put out a vagina scented candle, but like, ew, you know what I mean? Like, ew, mm, ew, that's weird. I'm all for weird, but a pussy candle, I feel like, um, I don't know. You're more than just your pussy. If it was a pumpkin spice pussy candle, that I might entertain. But one of the, the people on the docuseries they interviewed, they interviewed a bunch of experts in like spirituality and shit. And Wim Hof was a person that they interviewed and he does this, it's called the Wim Hof breathing technique. You basically, you know, breathe yourself into a panic attack, kinda. Um, you kinda get hyperventilating. And it does, it, it, it makes you feel alive. It really does. But one of the things that he suggested is um, taking really cold showers in the winter just to shock your nervous system and to make you more resilient or something. I don't, I forget what he said the good parts of it was, like the good, the good outcomes. But you know me, I love a challenge and I love suffering. So uh, in, when it's cold out, I take very cold showers. And I gotta say, it preps me for my day. It's jarring. I mean, I can't take a cold shower in the dead of winter without going, oh God, why am I doing this? I don't like it. Um, and screaming, but I'm working up. I'm working up to it. I'm working up to it. We're gonna we're gonna get into uh, chapter 16 today of uh, Nathaniel Brandon's Six Pillars of Self-Esteem, guys. He's the father of the concept of self-esteem and has written his masterpiece. That's a quote on the front of his book. Yes, Kevin, you dropped your toy and now you're gonna bark at it like it's gonna levitate up to you. It might be spooky season, but you gotta use your muscles to get that bone, boy. Uh, this chapter, it's chapter 16 and it's about self-esteem and psychotherapy. Because he's a psychotherapist and he taught students in college how to be psychotherapists. And he says in the beginning of this chapter, a common through line with a lot of his patients were they had low fucking self-esteem. Yeah. No shit. That's why I'm in your goddamn office. But yeah, it's, and he talks about how a lot of psychotherapists, especially early on, did not draw a huge connection between self-esteem and therapy or do therapy based on good self-esteem. And he was like, fuck that shit. He says, sometimes problems could be understood as direct expressions of an underdeveloped self-esteem. For example, shyness, timidity, 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 look at the Russian, and fear of self-assertion or intimacy. Ooh, who's got the willies? Sometimes problems can be understood as consequences of the denial of poor self-esteem. We all know those people. <laughs> I'm one of them. Controlling and manip manipulative behavior, obsessive compulsive traits, Inappropriate aggression, proud boys, uh, uh, fear-driven sexuality, fear-driven sexuality. I'm just imagining a guy humping a pillow crying. That's what I think of. I don't really know what he means. I would, I would, you know, if I was interviewing him, I'd be like, expand further on fear-driven sexuality. 
Maybe it's filling a void by filling your literal vagina. Destructive forms of ambition. (laughs) That felt personal. All aiming to produce some experience of efficacy, control, and personal worth. It was my view from the beginning that a primary task of psychotherapy is to help build self-esteem. This was not... Uh, this was not the perspective of my colleagues. What if Nathaniel, what if you, what if somebody uncovered a video of Nathaniel Brandon, like drunk at a holiday party, telling all of his colleagues to suck his dick? That'd be kind of funny. I'd be like, you tell him, Nathaniel. Um, so psychotherapy has two goals, according to him. Psychotherapy has two basic goals. One is the alleviation of suffering. I mean, we could all use some of that, huh? The other is the facilitation of an enhancement of well-being, which, you know, go fucking hand in hand. Uh, I'm just going to read chunks of these, like like long chunks, because I really, there's one part about subpersonalities that I was like, well, that's fucking interesting, and I think y'all will find it interesting as well. But here's the section on the climate of therapy. As with parents and teachers, an unrelenting attitude of acceptance and respect is perhaps the first way in which a psychotherapist can contribute to the self-esteem of a client. It is the foundation of useful therapy. So if you are, therapy is sometimes a lot like dating. Just because you make an appointment with a therapist for the first time and you check that off your to-do list and you find a therapist does not mean that that therapist is for you, okay? We all know people that we went to our high school reunion and we said, oh, wow, I haven't seen you in a while. What do you do? I'm a therapist. And you're like, oh, you're a therapist? <laughs> oh, wait, you are? That wasn't a joke? Oh, boy. You know, it's always the most, sometimes it's the most fucked up people that go into therapy. And sometimes they're really good at being a therapist. But sometimes they're not. This attitude is conveyed in how we greet clients when they arrive in the office, how we look at them, how we talk and how we listen. This entails such matters as courtesy, eye contact, being non-condescending and non-moralistic, listening attentively, being concerned with understanding and being understood, being appropriately spontaneous. Oh, that's a good one. I don't even know what that fucking means. That's so foreign to me. Refusing to be cast in the role of omniscient authority. Omniscient authority. Whatever. Fuck you. Like I said, barely know one language. And refusing to believe the client is incapable of growth. The respect is unrelenting. Whatever the client's behavior. God, see, that's why I couldn't be a therapist. Because if someone came in my office and they were being a little bitch, I'd be like, why are you being a little bitch? And that's not going to help. My therapist that I'm working with now, I was working with a woman. Her name was Orna. And I found her on a whim. And she happened to be just wonderful. And I really liked her. But she warned me that she was retiring in, in a couple months. So I was like, you know what? Whatever. I just needed to check it off my list. And you don't suck. So let's go. She recommended me this therapist I'm with now who I really like. But at first I was like, who are you? You can't be Orna. You're never going to replace Orna. Um, and But one thing I noticed that this therapist that I'm with now does is I'll come and sit down and she'll just look at me. She'll just make eye contact with me and just look at me. And I'm like, okay, so hi. And, it, and it's so, at first it was so unnerving. I'm like, what do you want? What do you want me to do? And then I was like, oh, is this how she's going to diagnose me by how I react to her just staring at me? It made me so anxious. But now I'm comfortable with it. So mm, growth. 
Um, the respect is unrelenting, whatever the client's behavior. The message is conveyed. A human being is an entity deserving respect. You are an entity deserving respect. A client for whom being treated in this manner may be rare or even a unique experience, Kevin is climbing on my shoulders, may be stimulated over time to begin restructuring his or her self-concept. Uh, I called, uh, I recall a client once saying to me, looking back over our therapy, I feel that nothing else has happened that happened was quite so impactful as the simple fact that I always felt respected by you. I pulled everything I could to make you despise me and throw me out. That's why I wouldn't be a good therapist. I kept trying to make you act like my father. Ooh! You refused to cooperate. Somehow I had to deal with that. I had, uh, I had to let that in, which was difficult at first, but as I did, the therapy began to hold. That's very interesting. <sighs> See, I couldn't fucking deal with that. Because, you know, like I said, I'm fucking traumatized too for my own shit. I don't want to deal. Like, I, for some reason, people can come up to me and tell me, e they can email me stories about very severe things. I mean, I, I, I often vet for them. I often say, like, email me the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And I read them. And when I read them, I don't, I mean, obviously, I just have nothing but empathy and um, sadness over what this person has experienced. But I'm also in awe of the person's strength who's writing me the email. Because it takes a lot of fucking strength to be comfortable talking about that shit. But, like, if you're being a little bitch boy like if you're if you're being i i cannot uh, take childish tactics oh that really gets my goat uh i i like to tell students when he's a college professor the goal is not to prove that you are brilliant so to these students that are trying to be therapists the goal is not to prove that you are brilliant the goal is to assist clients to discover that they are brilliant so you can't be a self-centered piece of shit and be a therapist um, yeah, therapy's so good. Therapy's so fucking good. Now let's read some parts from this section called Uncovering the Bright Side. There is no need less recognized in most people than the need to contact their unidentified and possibly disowned resources. This is the need to understand the strengths they do not know they possess, the potentials that they have never explored, the capacity for self-healing self-development they have never summoned a fundamental distinction among therapists whatever their theoretical orientation is is whether they think their task uh primarily in terms of uncovering assets or shortcomings virtues or flaws deficits or resources everyone who has any familiarity with psychology knows about the danger of disowning the murderer within and i read that and i was like wait what are you talking about daddy i mean nathaniel that's the murderer within, huh? Far fewer people understand the tragedy of disowning the hero within. In psychotherapy, it is often easy enough to see the part of the individual that is neurotic. The challenge is to see and mobilize the part that is healthy. Because, guys, it's in there. It's fucking deep down in there, okay? It's not your fault you like this, but it is your responsibility to, to fix it. Fix it. If I was a therapist, I would just have patients enter the room and I'd just go, fix it. And then I'd be like, that will be $1,000, please. And then I would have enough money to build uh, my immersive theater experience. Apartment building. Sometimes we are simply ignorant to of our positive resources. You're telling me. We do not recognize all we are capable of. 
Sometimes, however, we repress our knowledge. Oh, that sucks. I remember working many years ago with a young woman in group therapy. She was quite comfortable saying the most outrageously negative and unjust things about herself. I asked her as an experiment to stand facing the group and say aloud repeatedly, the truth is I'm actually highly intelligent. Her voice choked and at first she could not do it. Then I helped her to say it and she began to weep. So I gave her the sentence stem. The bad thing about admitting my intelligence is, oh, that one cut deep, Nathaniel, especially to this lady, does not like herself. Here were her first endings. The bad thing about admitting my intelligence is, my family will hate me. Well, that's a clue, y'all. No one in my family is supposed to have a mind. Well, there's, get out that treasure map. My sisters and brothers will be jealous. There's another fucking clue. I won't belong anywhere. I'll have to take responsibility for my life. Ding, ding, ding. You want a new car to drive away into your newly realized self. That's, woo, that's some, that's some crazy shit. I also used, used to have people in my life that would just say terrible things about themselves. And I was always perplexed by it. But I often recall in ther- my own therapy now with the woman I'm with now saying like, why are you so hard on yourself? And I'm like, fuck you. It's because I'm a stupid turd, maybe. And then so I'm no different. Then I gave her the stem. This is the same lady who doesn't like herself. If I were to bring my intelligence to bear on my problems, her endings included, I would know that I'm already responsible for my life, whether I admit it or not. Oh, there's some truth. Some truth soup. I would see that I'm living in the past. I would know that I'm not a little girl anymore. I would see that it's the little girl who's scared, not me, the adult. Oh, that's a good one. I would take possession of my life. Yay! Then I gave her the sentence stem. The frightening thing about admitting my strength is, oh, that's getting spooky, Nathaniel. Her endings included, no one would feel sorry for me. And it does say in parentheses laughing. I'm just laughing because that's, that's such an honest thing to say. Yo, these sentence stems are really helpful. But you know what I do is sometimes I'll answer them out loud because I get so obsessed with writing shit down and I'm like, maybe just say it. And actually like that that's how I can say it without thinking, you know? So in addition to, so the frightening thing about admitting my strength is no one f- would feel sorry for me. That's <laughs> just so honest. I'd move into unfamiliar territory. Ooh, spooky. I'd have to take a fresh look at my boyfriend. <laughs> so honest. Yo, this chick's boyfriend sucks. You know he sucks because he says that she's stupid. And that's probably why she dated him. Because her mommy and daddy said she was stupid. And so she found a man when she grew up that said, you're stupid. And she was like, will you be my boyfriend? Additional sentence endings included. I'd know nothing is holding me back but me. Ooh, that gives me the willies. I might be alone, which is actually a good thing, girl. Embrace it. I'd have to learn a new way of living. Again, embrace it. Suppose people put expectations on me. I'd have to learn to assert myself. It's hard, girl, but you can do it. Climb that mountain. It doesn't feel frightening right now. Well, that's a good ending. Wow. Damn. So that, that all of those thoughts. Is this sentence stem shit? Daddy Brandon knows what's up. Because this sentence stem stuff is very helpful. 
if you are a person who constantly says bad things about yourself, not even constantly, but if you always put yourself down, do the sentence stems. So if you so if you think you're dumb, well, the bad thing about admitting that I'm smart is because if you think you're dumb, that means you're ashamed of your intelligence. Well, at least in this woman's case, because some people are actually dumb, but I think they're so dumb that they don't know that they're dumb so that they're not going to be afraid of being dumb. So if you're afraid of being dumb, I actually think you're smart. (laughs) Who's dizzy? (laughs) Okay. Oh, in this section, this fucking section. Ah, this one over here. Survival strategies. And y'all, I related to this quite a bit. And based off of your emails, I think you will too. And this section has so much of the sentiments that my therapist um, reiterates to me. Clients need to understand that humans are, by nature, problem solvers. The solution we produce in response to the difficulties and challenges we encounter aim consciously or subconsciously at filling, uh, filling our needs. Sometimes the means we adopt are impractical and even self-destructive, neurotic, but at some level our intention is to take care of ourselves. Even suicide can be understood as a tragic effort at self-care, perhaps escape from intolerable suffering. Yeah, no shit, Nathaniel. That's why I say congrats on doing it to everybody every week. On not doing it, actually. Take that back. I say congrats on not doing it. Please don't do it. When we are young, we may disown and repress feelings and emotions that evoke the disapproval of significant others and shake our own equilibrium. And we pay a price in later years in self-alienation, distorted perceptions, and any number of possible symptoms. Yet seen from the perspective of the child, the repression has functional utility. This is very important. This is, talk about fucking self-esteem. My therapist constantly reminds me when I'm feeling confused or upset at myself for acting in a way that I logically know I don't want to be acting. It's not going to get me to where I want to be. She reminds me that when I was a kid, I needed to use those strategies to survive. So in fact, I was a little brave bitch, not a pussy ass dumb fuck. Thanks, doc. (laughs) Is this riveting podcasting or what? Uh, It has survival value. Its intention is to make the child able to live more successfully or at least to minimize pain. Or again, when we are young, we may experience a good deal of hurt and rejection and develop a policy in self-protection to reject others first. Oh, I don't do that. I run towards you. I'll run towards you. covered in flames? Christine, it's running towards you. Don't you worry. Not only while I rub my body all over yourself to put the fire out on you and catch it on myself, I'll act like it doesn't even matter and that I was proud to do it. This policy does not make for a happy life. Yeah, no shit. And yet its intention is not to cause suffering, but to reduce it. Survival strategies that do not serve our interests, but in fact hurt us, but to which we nonetheless cling to like life preservers in a stormy sea, are the ones psychologists label neurotic. The ones that serve our interests, we properly label good 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 adaptations. Oh my God. Kevin, you're the cutest. The ones that serve our interests, we properly label good adaptations, such as learning to uh, walk, speak, think, and earn a living. Clients can be deeply ashamed of some of their dysfunctional responses to life's challenges. And man, am I walking proof of that. I'm walking proof of that. I'm no longer ashamed of it. Thank God, because that makes life so much easier 
and it, 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 it improves your efficacy because you can handle situations and respond to negative situations way chiller. I'm going to read that. I'm going to read that sentence again just to drive the point home. Clients can be deeply ashamed of some of their dysfunctional responses to life's challenges. They do not look at their behavior from the perspective of its intended functional utility. They are aware of their timidity or overaggressiveness or avoidance of human intimacy or compulsive sexuality, but not of its roots. They are not in contact with the needs they are blindly trying to address. Yep. Their shame and guilt do not make it easier for them to improve their condition, but harder. I mean, that's the understatement of the goddamn century, Mr. Brandon. So one of the ways we can support self-esteem is by educating clients in the idea of survival strategies, helping them see that their worst mistakes can be understood as misguided attempts at self-preservation. Feelings of self-condemnation need to be examined and understood, but after this has been accomplished, their continued existence serves no useful purpose. When they are diminished, the client is freer to consider solutions that can better fill their needs. If, you, if it's your own perception that what you do does not work, are you willing to look at alternatives that you might find more satisfying? Are you willing to experiment with trying something else? And let me tell you, I is. I is. Give me homework, daddy. I will do it. So this is a really interesting part about integrating sub-personalities. It's just sub-personalities. I've never heard of this concept until I read this book. On a technical level, perhaps the two methods that most distinguish my approach are the use of sentence completions, which, good on you, boo, which I've illustrated uh, throughout this book, as well as uh, in several of my previous books and working with sub-personalities, which I turn to now. And then he talks about how his wife fucking helped him realize the importance of sub-personalities, which is so dope. And I'm like, well, there's a man with good self-esteem, fucking crediting his wife for being a smart lady and thanking her. But he, uh, okay, so here's some definitions. What do I mean by sub-self or sub-personality? The two terms are used synonymously. A sub-self or sub-personality is a dynamic component of an individual's psyche, having a distinctive perspective value orientation and personality of its own that may be more or less dominant in the individual's responses at any particular time. So we're all a little schizo, y'all, that the individual may be more or less conscious of, more or less accepting and benevolent toward, that they may be more or less integrated into the individual's total psychological system, and that is capable of growth and change over time. I call a sub-self dynamic because it, a- it actively interacts with other components of the psyche and is not merely a passive repository of attitudes. So I can't understand what that means, but let's read further into the other selves. So here's a self, a sub-self. The child self. That's my favorite one slash the one that I need to work on the most. The child self is the component of the psyche containing person- the personality of a child, um, of the child one once was with that child's range of values, emotions, needs, and responses. Not, and this is very important, not a generic child or a universal archetype, but a specific historical child unique to an individual's history and development. Okay? So it's your child self is unlike any other's child self because we're all unique fucking snowflakes. Okay? So you have your child self. That's an important one. Nearly two decades ago, 
I gave a self-esteem seminar in which I guided the class through an exercise that involved an imaginary encounter with the child one once was. Afterward, during the break, a woman walked over to me and said, do you want to know what I did when I realized that the child sitting under the tree waiting for me was my five-year-old self? I created a stream behind the river or behind the tree, threw the child into it and drowned her. Fucking psycho. That was said with a bitter, brittle smile. Well, that's fucking creepy, Nathaniel. Get your mace. What the incident dramatizes is not only that we may be unconscious of any particular subself, but that the awareness may be instantly accompanied by hostility and rejection. You know, like you want to drown your child self in a fucking river. That's rude. Does it need to be argued that we cannot have healthy self-esteem while despising parts of who we are? I've never worked with a depressed personality whose child self did not feel hated, not merely ignored or rejected, by an older part. In How to Raise Your Self-Esteem, I offer a number of exercises for identifying and integrating the child self and the teenage self. Oh, the teenage one. Angsty. Drugs. Weed. That's drugs. Teenage self. This one's interesting. The teenage self. Fuck you, mom. You never get me. I never said that to my mom. I was way too nice. The teenage self is the component of the psyche containing the personality of the adolescent one once was with that teenager's range of values, emotions, needs, and responses. Not, like the child self, this is important, not a generic teenager or universal archetype, but a, a specific historical one unique to an individual's history and development. So your teenage self always going to live with you. I wish someone would have said that to me when I was a kid because then I would have, I don't know if I would have done anything different and I probably couldn't even understand that concept. But it's like, you know, if you do something embarrassing online and somebody rec like you, somebody records it, something humiliating and then it goes viral and everyone's like, what a fucking idiot. That's my teenage years, <laughs> but only to me. Often when working with couples on, a rela on relationship problems, an exploration of the teenage self is especially useful. I fucking, this part's so interesting. This is the sub-self that often plays an important role in selecting a partner. Oops, we're doomed. And this is the mind state to which we often revert unconsciously during times of relationship difficulty or crises <laughs> as manifested in such withdrawal behaviors as I don't care or no one's going to get to me or don't tell me what to do. That reminds me of this time that I was fighting with my ex-boyfriend and I forget what we were fighting about. Those are all, that's always how it goes, right? You fucking even, I, certain fights I remember. But this, I, I just fucking forget what we were fighting about. And he was like, I'm going to leave. And I was like, no, you're not going to leave because I'm leaving. And I ran to the door to beat him out of the door, like not to hurt him, but like to run past him because he was right at the door. And I sprinted to the door, got outside, realized it was pouring rain, went to go back inside, forgot my keys, didn't want to buzz, didn't want to buzz in because I was too stubborn. <laughs> Guys, that was my teenage self. Did it, did it, do. Do, 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 do. Open up your morning line. Christina's 13 and she's mad. I recall once treating a couple, both psychotherapists. Well, that sounds like a fucking treat. Who came into my office furious at each other. He was 41 and she was 39, but they looked like teenagers in their angry defiance of each other. <laughs> Been there, my friend. On the way to my office, she had said to him that when they arrived, he should tell me some particular piece of information to give her suggestion, quote, authority. 
She had evidently dropped into an older voice when she heard, uh, uh, which he heard as the voice of his mother. Oh boy, here we go. Don't tell me what to do, he snapped. As an adolescent, she had experienced constant reproaches from her parents and dropping into an adolescent mind state in response to his rebuke, she slammed her fist against his shoulder, so she hit him, and shouted, don't talk to me that way. God, how quickly a couple can turn into mother and son. Later, when they were back in their normal adult consciousness, they were mortified at their behavior. Quote, as if we were possessed by demons, one of them said. I mean, that, and that's psychotherapists. We've all been there, yo. Fuck it. I, and I see couples on the street fighting, and I'm fucking fascinated by it because I've, I've been there. I've been that person. And man, when it's not you, it's fucking golden to watch because you're watching human beings you're watching as he's saying adult people reverting back to their teenagers i could see it and i've been in i've been with people who certainly had me like guys who have triggered me and i revert to this fucking immature you're fucking dude head like just real immature this is what it can feel like uh, when a subpersonality takes over and we do not understand what is happening. Oh, so interesting. I had helped them pull out of their teenage mind state by asking them one question. How old do you feel right now? And is that the age you need to be to solve this problem? Mic drop, motherfucker. Mic drop, motherfucker. Ooh. Can you imagine saying that, though? to your partner when you're fighting and you're both in your teenage self so you're both acting like pieces of shit that are rebelling against your overbearing parent and then you all of a sudden switch and you're like how old do you feel right now and is that the age you need to be to solve this problem uh, uh here's another sub self the opposite gender self i love this one i love all of these these are so interesting and the, the more you learn about them the more you can notice when they pop up it's kind of cool the opposite gender self is the component of the psyche containing the feminine subpersonality of the male and the masculine subpersonality of the female. Not a generic feminine or masculine or universal archetype, but individual for each man or woman, reflecting aspects of his or her personal development, learning, acculturation, and overall development. There tends to be a fairly strong correlation between how we relate to the opposite gender in the world and how we relate to the opposite gender within. I mean, yeah. Because what that makes me think of is some macho ass proud boy. So proud that he lost the Civil War. But that's not going to fuck up his day. And he's so macho. He's a walking stereotype. But like you can tell. it makes One of the reasons why it makes me sad is because I'm like, you're not being you, boo. I don't think you respect women if I had to wager a bet. And I certainly don't think you would ever let yourself express your inner feminine side because every, and I, I, I can't, I, I'm sure this is totally different if you're um, transgender, this is different. But if you're cisgender, you do have a relationship to the opposite sex side of you. I certainly, man, there's so many times where, and I love this, it's so fun. Like to play with your my masculine self, I love it. Sometimes I'll just sit with my fucking legs wide open like I got a big old dick and it feels fun. And I love doing shit like changing tires on the side of the highway. I love doing masculine stuff. 
It's just it's just cool to dip into having a dick for a second. Well, masculinity is more than a dick, of course. But you know what I mean? Don't at me or do. I'm eating my notifications. There tends to be a fairly oh, strong correlation between how we relate to the opposite gender in the world and how we relate to the opposite gender within. The man who professes to find women an incomprehensible mystery is almost certainly completely out of touch with the feminine within. I'm going to repeat that for the people in the back. The man who professes to find women an incomprehensible mystery, which honestly, if a guy called me that, I'd be like, thank y'all, is almost certainly completely out of touch with the feminine within. Just as a woman who professes to find men incomprehensible is out of touch with her masculine side. Yeah, dude. Yeah. In therapy, I have found that one of the most powerful ways to help men and women become more effective in love relationships, oh, tell me more about that, Nathaniel, is to work with them on their relationship to their opposite gendered self. Oh, I'm listening, boy. Making the relationship more conscious, accepting, benevolent, and therefore more integrated into the total personality. Shit, maybe I gotta change tires more. Not surprisingly, women are more often comfortable with the idea that they have an internal masculine side. Here it goes, what we all knew. Then men are with the idea of an internal feminine side, but neither subself is difficult to demonstrate. I might mention that none of this has anything to do with homosexuality or bisexuality. Okay, well, I didn't think it did, but okay. This book was written a while ago, so. Um, the mother self. Ooh, that hurts. The mother self is the component of the psyche containing an internalization of aspects of the personality perspective and values of an individual's mother <laughs> or older female mother figures who had an influence and impact during childhood okay again we deal with the individual and the historical not the generic or universal mother and again this is a very different from a generic parent ego state okay yeah i know that once stepping into the street with my last client of the day and noticing how chilly it had become i said to the young man impulsively and quite untypically what you came out without a sweater before my, start, uh, my startled client could reply, I said, stop, don't answer. I didn't say that. My mother said that. We both laughed. For a brief moment, my mother self had taken over my consciousness. <laughs> That's, and when he puts it that way, sometimes I blurt shit out that I'm like, wait, what did I just say? And it kind of makes sense that certain parts of you are coming to the surface. In more serious ways, of course, this happens all the time. Long after our mother may have died. Oh, God, I can't. I can't do anything with a mom. We play out her oh, messages in our head and often imagine that they are our own. I don't want to read that part. Okay. The father self is the component of the psyche containing an internalization of aspects of the personality, perspective, and values of an individual's father. Again, not an archetype. Um you your father your father your daddy i once had a client who when he was asked uh i once had a client who when he was kind and compassionate with his girlfriend later complained of feeling guilty about it which was a puzzling and unusual reaction puzzling indeed go on what we learned was that the source of his guilt was an unrecognized father self who sneered at him and said in and said in effect Women are you uh, are to be used, not treated as persons. What kind of man are you? Well, that's a sucky daddy, isn't it? The client's struggle became to distinguish his own voice from that of his father's selves. Ooh, deep work. 
This list of subpersonalities is not meant to be exhaustive, but merely to indicate the ones we work with most often in our practice. What each of these subselves needs from us is understanding, acceptance, respect, that's hard, and benevolence. And in our therapy, we have developed techniques to achieve this result. Well, that's good. A few years ago, Devers, that's his wife, identified two other subpersonalities that we find it productive to work with. Technically, they are not subpersonalities in quite the same sense as those listed above, but functionally, they can be addressed in the same way. They are the outer self and the inner self. Ooh, tell me more. The outer self is the component of the psyche that is expressed through the self we present to the world. So Instagram. Very simply, the outer self is the self other people see. It may be a highly congruent and appropriate vehicle for the expression of the inner self in the world, but probably not. Or, I'm probably the or one. It may be a highly armored and defensive distortion of the inner self. Yeah, that one probably for a lot of people. The inner self is the self only we can see and experience. And that's the one that matters the most, y'all. It's you. Surprise. Look in the mirror. You're who you've been waiting for. The private self, the self as subjectively perceived, a powerful sentence stem. Oh, God, here we go, y'all. Give me the willies. Just give it to me. If my outer self expressed more of my inner self in the world, dot, dot, dot. A central aspect of our therapy is balancing or integrating subpersonalities. This is a process of working with subselves towards a number of interrelated ends, which include learning to recognize a particular subpersonality, to isolate and identify it within the totality of one's experience, understanding the relationship that exists between the adult conscious self and this particular subpersonality. For example, conscious, semi conscious, or unconscious accepting or rejecting, benevolent or hostile. Okay, so they're saying, what's your adult self's relationship to that subpersonality? So me and my inner mother, we got work to do, y'all. We got work to do. Identifying the salient traits, salient traits of the subpersonality, such as chief concerns, dominant emotions, characteristics, ways of responding. Identifying unmet needs or wants of the subpersonality relative to the adult conscious self, for example, to be heard, listened to, accepted, with respect and compassion. And I mean, a lot of that child self, if you went through childhood trauma, the child self is all full of thorns, full of thorns. You got to pull them out and you got to go, ow, that hurts. I don't want to do it. I just want to leave it in there. And then your therapist's like, nope, it's going to get infected and you're going to die. And you're like, well, is that better than this? Because this sucks. And your therapist's like, it is. Trust me. And you're like, okay, doc. Okay. Identifying destructive behavior on the part of the subpersonality when important needs and wants are ignored or unmet by the conscious adult self. Developing a relationship between the adult conscious self and the subpersonality of consciousness, acceptance, respect, benevolence, and open communication. And then the last one he lists is identifying the relationship existing between a particular subpersonality and the various others in the psyche and resolving any conflicts between them. So, you know, so just sit in your living room floor, hold a mirror up to your head and start arguing with yourself. <laughs> this is why I would not be a good therapist. <laughs> Whether working with a younger self, an opposite gendered self, or a parent self towards the end of integration and a greater overall experience of wholeness, the steps are always the same in principle and, the, uh, and are indicated above. This is the ones I just read. 
Through this process, we convert disowned subselves from uh, sources of turmoil and conflict into positive resources that can energize and enrich us. And I don't know about y'all, but I want to be goddamn energized and goddamn motherfucking enriched, okay? Can we become accomplished at the practice of self-acceptance without learning about subpersonalities? Of course. If we learn to accept and respect our internal signals to be fully present to our own experience, that is what self-esteem asks of us as far as self-acceptance is concerned. However, however, we sometimes find that the process of self-acceptance is blocked and we do not know why. Story of my goddamn life. Mysterious voices inside our head. Oh my God, it's like he knew I was gonna name my podcast voice in our heads. Mysterious voices, oh God, I'm so, okay. Mysterious voices inside our head generate relentless self-criticism. Self-acceptance feels like an ideal we can never fully realize. When this happens, working with subpersonalities can become an avenue to breakthrough. In psychotherapy, subpersonality work can be invaluable since one of the barriers to growing in self-esteem can be parental voices bombarding the individual with critical and even hostile messages. You don't say. As therapists, we need to know how to turn those negative voices off and turn an adversarial mother or father self into a positive resource. Well, that sounds like a task that's not going to be achievable, but I guess I'll believe that it is. Okay, Nathaniel. And then uh, I'm going to read some stuff from the last section of this chapter, the uh, therapy of the future. When we say that self-efficacy is trust in one's competence to cope with the basic challenges of life, we are anchoring this component of self-esteem not in specific knowledge or skills, but in one's ability to think, make decisions, learn, and persevere in the face of difficult times, which are matters of process, not content or content. Whatever. Like I said, don't even know one language. But that's self-efficacy. It doesn't mean you're smart little smarty toots, okay? It means that when life throws you a curveball... You either catch it or you get out of the way. You don't get hit in the face with poop. An effective self-esteem therapy has to be, uh, has to process focused, has to what? What did I just say? What did I fucking just say? An effective self-esteem therapy has to process focused, doesn't make sense, but it has to be more than that. It has to be comprehensive enough to address not only issues of competence, but also of worth. I mean, because that's self-esteem, y'all, worth. Self-respect, Confidence that one deserves love, success, and happiness. And I'm here to tell you today, you heard it from your girl, Christina Marie Hutchinson. You, my friend, deserve love, success, and happiness. Okay, just in case you didn't know. When we are children, we are dependent on others for the satisfaction of most of our needs. Some children are more independent than others, but no child can have the level of independence possible to an adult. As we mature, we become self-supporting in more areas, including self-esteem. If we develop properly, we transfer, uh, we transfer the source of approval from the world to ourselves. <sighs> that sounds nice. We shift from the external to the internal. Again, sounds like heaven. But if one does not understand the nature and roots of adult self-esteem, but thinks in terms of reflected appraisals, one is at a severe disadvantage when it comes to putting theory into effective practice. And that's basically saying, fuck what everyone else says. What do you say about you? 
Some psychotherapists identify self-esteem exclusively with self-acceptance and treat it in effect as a birthright with no further effort required of the individual. This approach conveys a very limited view of what self-esteem is and requires. Important as self-acceptance is, the client will be left to wonder why it does not satisfy the hunger for something more. I mean, story of my goddamn life. Some height, uh, some height the client may yearn for, but have no inkling of how to reach and no guidance. For these reasons, I recommend that a person seeking professional assistance in raising self-esteem, this is such a good little ending, which is an, an eminently worthy and admirable undertaking, would do well to interview a prospective therapist and ask these questions. Because like I said earlier, finding a therapist is a little like dating. They're not all going to be great. Some of them are going to suck. Some of them are going to suck ass. And not in the fun way, in a bad ass sucking way. So here are some suggestions that Nathaniel Brandon, who is a psychotherapist, suggests that you use when interviewing to work with a psychotherapist, especially if your goal is to, un uh, is to heighten your self-esteem, genuinely increase your sense of self-esteem. So here are some questions. What do you understand self-esteem to mean? These are questions you can ask a potential therapist. What do you understand self-esteem to mean? What do, you uh, what do you think healthy self-esteem depends on? What will we do together that will have a positive effect on my self-esteem? <laughs> I'm just imagining like, what are you going to do to me to fix me, bitch? What are your reasons for thinking so? Any conscientious professional will respect these questions y'all this has been fucking real my name's christina marie hutchinson follow me on social media at christina hutch and also i'm posting videos of myself playing piano i'm just doing it uh, live on instagram and then i'm deleting them but because i'm trying to I'm, I'm working on a bunch of projects that require me to be very vulnerable and i figured this is a good little exercise because for some reason it's very scary to play piano in front of people even though i've been playing my whole life um it's scary and vulnerable for me and so I'm using that as an experiment. So if you want to catch one of those at Christina Hutch. And um, hey, congrats on not killing yourselves this week. I'm proud of you. You're doing well. You're doing good. You're doing the work. Jesus loves you. She's real. She's a lady. Guys, have a great week. And I will talk to you next Wednesday. So catch me around to say mm, that you only meant well well cause you did mm, what you say mm, that it's all for the best cause it is mm, what you say mm, that it is what we need you decided this what you say mm, what did you say and nuts keep falling out your mouth Mid-swing talk news People will cut people us Cause speak no feeling No, I don't believe I don't believe You don't care a bit You don't care a bit So nuts keep falling out your mouth Mid-swing talk news People will cut us Speak no feeling No, I don't believe You don't care a bit You
Sim.